there's a subject that people study at university called comparative religion. Now, comparative religion looks at various holy books and holy practices and analyzes them and compares them to other practices and so on. It's a pointless study. But one of the main reasons for its pointlessness, the main aspects of its pointlessness, is that it completely ignores the living emotional and intuitive quality of religions. Religious people will listen, for instance Muslims, will listen to the recitation of the Quran and it will bring them to tears. There's an emotional attachment, an emotional feeling that you get when you pray. Christians get this as well. And there's many stories of the enlightenment, the insight, the moment of revelation, literally, that people get as a result of religion. And all that is completely ignored when we do subjects such as comparative religion. It knocks the emotion out of it. And many times when you talk to these people who study these kind of subjects, it's almost as if the emotion and the other feelings are, are simply clouding the reality. The reality is in the intellect. And these other issues simply confuse ignorant people who don't understand things. Now, this is far from the truth. It's like studying sex without having ever felt or experienced sex. You can study it, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And you have to experience to really understand what sex is. Now, of course, this feeling works both ways. Many atheists who consider themselves to be rational and so on have actually been thrust into, or they, they say they've been thrust into their atheism through a bad relationship with, with, with religion, often with Christianity in the West. And uh, they have bad experiences and the emotions of this cause them to turn to atheism as a, a way of compensating by looking at the intellect, we can disregard the emotions and the, real, the, the feeling is that they hope they're going to go away. Now, of course, we need a balance. Religion does have a, in, an intellectual, a rational aspect to it. And there are many studies. If you sit down and talk to people about studies in the Quran and about... Islam, they are very deep. The Jews would train their kids from an early age into discussing the Torah and the jurisprudence. So this is very good mental exercise for, for Jews, which is why they've grown up often with this very analytical ability. It was given them, to them, ironically, by the religion. Now, People who are permeated by this intellectual thinking are often cut off from their own emotions. They compensate in many respects by 
talking about emotion. I knew somebody, and this is just one example of the kind of thing I'm talking about, who was very prominent in in the trade union movement and so on. And she was really a very unfeeling person and to be quite blunt, was quite self-centered. And yet she would claim about how wonderful and how good she was because she was helping all these working class people with their issues. It's a compensation. Those who can feel, feel those who can't, often act out and they politicians have found that they can get tremendous mileage from this. If you go up to on politics and claim on a platform that you're heartfelt about a particular uh, issue, you will get a lot of support. And the people who may be, and I'm not taking sides, have a more pragmatic view of the issues, will often be accused of being unfeeling. Now, when you actually talk to these people, when you actually get to know them, the reality is quite different. It's often quite different. The people who talk about it can be quite ruthless and cynical in their approach. And the people who appear to have a very cutthroat and hard-arsed, as it were, view of um, people, but sometimes they are simply... Um, unfeeling but sometimes they're not they simply have a balance and they've put that line on their balance in a different place than maybe other people would you see the other side of the coin is that in the west we judge people and we assess people because we're a pretty shallow society in the west we assess people by what they do by what they show. So if somebody doesn't show emotions, there's a large section of the population that will assume that because they don't show them, they don't feel them. And the other side of that, of course, is that if they do show them, people think, oh, well, they must feel them. Well, no, it's just an act very often. It's a learned behaviour. In the old days, it always used to be said that men particularly should be very stoical the stiff upper lip you feel but you don't cry you don't react and the reason for this was because men were always were always to take action to be the ones who actually cut through the emotion and said okay this is what we have to do but nowadays, people who do that, particularly men that do that, they're accused of being unfeeling. And this can have huge repercussions. It does, it's not just men, it goes right across the board. In 1980, in Australia, Lindy Chamberlain, um, her daughter Azaria, was taken by dingoes. Uh, but the police at the time refused to accept that dingoes had taken the baby and they accused Lindy Chamberlain in uh, collaboration with her husband, I think, of murdering the baby. And there was a lot of nonsense about how the word Azaria meant, you know, taken by dingoes or sacrificed, or I don't know, it was a lot of nonsense. Now, the whole thing was overturned later and many people 
who lived in the area said that dingoes always hunting around looking at things and if about they many of them would even say many of the aboriginals said they wouldn't leave their babies alone because the dingoes could easily take them but the reason why she was accused was because when the police when she went to the police and the police investigated this she wasn't in a heap she wasn't crying and emotionally distraught and the police assumed from this that she must be guilty because she didn't show the emotion that they expected now she came from a very religious background there's an element of stoicism in this religion this is god's will and we we don't like it but we accept it and this was her attitude but people nowadays think if you don't show it you don't feel it there was a movie um i think it's called the queen and it's about um the the attitude of the queen elizabeth ii at the time of princess diana's death and the queen's attitude and, she, and the royal family's attitude was no we have to keep going we do what we've always done we go on regardless but from the public's perception and tony blair the prime minister if you to believe the film picked up on this and from the public's perception because she didn't show the emotion she was unfeeling she was aloof and in the movie she goes down to london and the, the you know it's based on truth she went down to london and um she participated to a certain extent anyway in that feeling of uh, gloom i suppose of despair that had taken over the the english people she showed she was part of it but it was the perception that because she didn't show it initially that she didn't feel it and this is how people think in the west there's almost a worship of intellectual ability and this intellectual ability can be very cold doctors and um, scientists can do things which are morally quite repugnant um, and they justify this by saying well it's just science i mean institutions do set up ethical um committees but sometimes the ethics you know can be very convenient and just because one university decides to follow a particular ethical route doesn't mean that other universities or other countries are and many countries um do things that go right behind the ethics that we would consider or what we can would consider ethical in the west and you know when you look at uh the scientists for instance who developed the atomic bomb uh they were in very ambivalent about producing the bomb and in fact they said they produced it because they feared that if they didn't the germans would and they didn't want the germans getting there first but we I think it's quite obvious to most people that if the atomic and the hydrogen bombs had never been developed the world would probably be a better place I mean you might argue the merits say of you know, Hiroshima and getting rid of 
the Japanese. I'm not arguing one way or the other. I would argue, uh, just to put it on the record, that I don't think there's any justification in the bomb on Nagasaki that was purely done in order to test out the bomb um, before the Japanese had a chance to even surrender. There can often be something very dissatisfying about getting involved in a very intellectual discussion. And many times I've come out of these discussions feeling that something's missing. It's like when people study statistics, and I've talked about this before. Statistical analysis does not give you real understanding. It's an illusion of understanding. You might have shown through a whole load of calculations that this is correlated with that. But you haven't really got to the essence of what's causing it. Now personally, I get a feeling of understanding when we can see analogies and metaphors, when I can see something in terms of how another thing works and then you start getting a feeling of the universe as working in a harmony, working by certain rules that work together, that work in a, in a, in a synchronism. But in many ways, well certainly statistics bypasses that altogether and intellectual analysis bypasses that and, 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 and gets rid of it because if you say, oh, this is related to that, or I can see this is like that, then, of course, analysis can very easily show you why the two aren't the same. Well, they may not be the same. The point is to say they're similar, and they're similar enough that you can get some understanding from it. Ironically, the very people who will argue against analogy by pointing out differences are the same people who will use statistics to show similarities of two unrelated things even when they've got no understanding of what that relationship is you see if we said there's uh, that a certain gene can cause a propensity for instance to breast cancer and let's say that if you have a particular gene uh, it shows that you're, I don't know, 30% more likely to get breast cancer. You haven't really discovered anything new about what's causing breast cancer. Why does 30%, or not 30%, but 30% more get it, and the others don't? I mean, really, that's the essence, isn't it? If you want to understand something. You see, if I held a glass over a tiled floor, and I dropped that glass, and the glass broke, the scientists would say, well, of course, because it hit with such and such an acceleration, this causes this amount of stress on, on the glass, and we can see that a glass of this design can only deal with X amount of stress, and you gave it X plus N amounts of stress, and this caused it to break, and so on. But then it's possible, and of course everybody's had this experience, where you have a glass and you drop it on a tile floor, and it doesn't break. And you're sitting there looking at it and wondering, and you think, hold on, how come it didn't break? And the scientists might be able to say, oh yes, well it landed here or it landed there, but it's all supposition. They don't really 
know. And when we talk about correlation, we're saying we don't have any understanding, we don't understand the rules, we're just making guesses because we see certain things happen. The impetus for scientific research comes because there's a view that when we discover something scientifically, we have made progress in understanding the world and the universe we live in and so on. It's, it's a myth, it's fallacious. There's the idea that we were primitive, uh, well, we were animals and we evolved into mammals and we evolved into humans and then the humans evolved in understanding until we developed technology and that in this 21st century we're at the peak of human understanding and that all scientific progress makes us further and further until we're going to finish up like Star Trek on the Starship Enterprise and going out into the and out into the cosmos. It's simply not true. A better understanding of the world is through an understanding of how God exercises, it's how God manifests in the world. And the world is built, the universe is built on metaphor, and I've talked about this before. And this metaphor is not purely an intellectual process. It's an understanding of emotions, feelings, intuition, and as well as rationality, of course. And when we start to piece all that together, we get a whole feeling for how the world works. And that is real understanding. And you can get to a point where you have direct contact with knowledge. You know, there are, are psychics, and of course the, the intellectuals dismiss all this because it doesn't fit in with their understanding, but they are they are very real. You can get psychics who will pick up a pair, a set of keys, for instance, of somebody's own and carry it around with them. And they will tell you about the person because they get a feeling. And we, most sensitive people, and of course one of the problems with the intellect or the intellectuals is that they've cut themselves off from their feelings but people who have feeling can walk into a room where there are ghosts or where there's certain events happen and they will get a feeling from that room they will pick up on the energy they might even see ghosts but they'll have a feeling about it and it could be a good feeling or a bad feeling I remember years years ago there was a program on TV the amazing race, they send people around, there was a competition, they send people around the, the world and they have to partake in various things and one of them was they had to go to Turkey and partake in the ceremony of the whirling dervishes and of the teams that went there and their, their pairs, they would go and they would don the outfit, they would do what they have to do and then they would run off but there was two girls in particular and they got there and they did it and they just said well we're on a race we have to go but we really don't want to leave because there's such a wonderful feeling 
in this whole place and in this whole ceremony. They felt it, whereas most of the other people didn't feel it. And of course, this is almost like a metaphor for life. We're so caught up in the race for life in achieving, in getting on in the company, or making money, or doing something in what what people call the dunya, which is the, the world, the outer world, that we lose that sensitivity, that feeling. And intellectuals have well and truly lost it, and there's something very disheartening when we get trapped into that intellectual discussion. Thank you for listening. You can leave comments on my Podbeam page. You can email me, phil at braham.net. You can visit my website, podcasts.braham.net. And I hope to hear back from you. Thank you. Thank you.